I just realized why he has all those questions, because he's, never mind, I was going <laughs> to, yeah, he's on something. Um, anyway, um, those are not the questions we're answering. We're actually wrapping up this series today and um, starting a new series, just a short two-week one for the next two weeks, called Money and Happiness. There is a connection between money and happiness, but it's not necessarily the connection that most people think. So, um, but, but we're going to talk about this question today. Um, should I watch this? Should I watch this? We're going to talk about entertainment and what does, what, what, what does God think about what we watch and, and what we listen to and, and what we spend time um, uh, being entertained by. And it's an important question. And the entertainment industry has changed over the years. Long are the days when there were times that literally nothing was on TV, right? I mean, this is what you would get, or maybe this, right? Uh, some of you remember, I actually am old enough to remember this, where they played the Star Spangled Banner in the morning when, when you know, television continued because it had stopped. Like, who would watch TV after midnight anyway, you know? Um, or, or some of you, maybe it was after six, I don't know. Um, but... So, so, but the entertainment has changed. The average American household spends $2,900 on entertainment every year. That's $370 billion annually, which means watching people do stuff is one of the biggest businesses in America. It's, it's just watching other people do stuff. And so many times we might be watching something and then all of a sudden it takes a turn. And, and you're like, oh, I didn't think it would get that dark. I didn't think it, you know, I would see that watching this. And, and you're, you're thinking, man, I, I'm glad my mom isn't watching with me. Or I'm glad my kids <laughs> aren't watching this with me. In fact, my mom, godly, awesome woman, but she was a nurse, okay? And so I remember asking her a couple times, one time in particular, is this movie clean? Is this okay for me to watch? Oh, yeah, it's fine. And so I'm watching it with her, and I see someone's completely naked backside. I'm like, Mom! She's like, oh, it's just a butt. I see those all day. <laughs> like, but I don't. <laughs> like, this is, not, this is what I was asking you about. Like, what? Um, and, and so, you know, this is a question. And some of you might be thinking, even right now, like, I don't like where this is going. Uh, am I going to be told what I can and cannot watch and what shows are good and what shows are bad? Well, the Bible doesn't have a list like that, and so neither do we as a church, but that doesn't mean it's not important to God. And this is something very important to God. And so I'm going to look at some scriptural principles that apply to our entertainment choices. And this is Paul talking to some uh, Greeks. This is ancient Greece where they would worship gods, right? Zeus and Apollo and Diana. And, and they would sacrifice animals to these gods, maybe a, a, a bull, or a, a cow, or a, or a uh, well, Jews wouldn't eat pigs, but sheep, goats, whatever. They'd sacrifice to them, and then they'd go and sell them in the marketplace. And so some of the Christians were asking, can I buy meat that is sacrificed to an idol? And the bottom line was, well, it doesn't change the meat at all. And, and if you didn't know it was sacrificed to an idol, it certainly isn't going to hurt you because those idols aren't real. And so you are allowed to do this. It is permissible. And, but then he says, but beyond that, we need to think about what, what, how we think through this, how it affects you to be eating meat sacrificed to an idol. 
and how it affects other people. And so he has this principle here. I have a right to do anything you say. He says, that's true. This isn't, but not everything is beneficial. It's not really true. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. They're basically saying, hey, it's a free country, or maybe I'm free in Christ because he's died for me and I'm going to heaven no matter what. And, and so, and he's like, yeah, but we need to think about what is beneficial and what is constructive. And even though he's talking about food here, this applies to entertainment choices. It applies to all sorts of other areas in our life where there isn't necessarily a command. Don't steal. Don't kill. Right? There, there's no command about this, but, but we need to put it through this lens. Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? I like that, that word picture, constructive. makes you think of building. Right? What are my entertainment choices building in my life? Is what I'm watching helping me? Is it hurting me or is it holding me back? Because sometimes, maybe it's not helping, maybe it's not hurting, but it might be holding you back from what God really wants you to do. Here's a couple of ex examples. If gossip or being caught up in drama is something you struggle with, is it good for you to watch a show literally designated as a drama? Or maybe it's a, a, a reality show and it's pretty much just a bunch of people getting together and gossiping about each other. Is that going to help you in, in your temptation to gossip about other people or get, get involved in lots of drama in your life? And you might say, well, but I'm not that bad. But that's what it's about, right? It's about extremes that we can then laugh at and say, oh, look at how awful they are and makes me feel better because I'm bad, but I'm not that bad, Right? Is it, is it constructive? Is it building you up? Um, crude humor or rudeness, if that's a struggle for you, do you watch shows where they're really crude and they're rude to each other? You know, if, if uh, anger is a struggle for you, does, do you watch things that provoke your anger? You know, or do you say, man, I wish I, could, I wish I could be as sarcastic and make people look as stupid as that guy. Oh, I love it when he makes people feel stupid. I wish I could be like that. Well, you know what? That's not good for me. Sarcasm. That's, you know, I wish that was a spiritual gift. So I could really, I could really, I could really lean into that one, but it's not. Right? And so so what we're watching, I think we underestimate what our entertainment choices are subtly doing to ourselves. If sexual purity is a struggle for you, is a show that celebrates immorality or shows a little bit too much, too revealing outfits, or, or not enough outfit. You know, is, is, is that really helping you? Or fear and anxiety, if you struggle with fear and anxiety, do you watch dark stuff with, you know, that, that may even be, you know, um, demonic activity and different things, horror, and, or, or even political shows filled with horror, darkness, and fear? Um, that may even be worse. Right? So, so I think it's good to step back and really evaluate what are my entertainment choices building in my life. And this is a profoundly Christian question. So this is for people that are following Jesus Christ. They're, every week, it's awesome. We have lots of people here who are watching online, who are here in the building that, that uh, haven't made the decision to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and say, I'm going to accept Jesus into my life. I'm going to live for him. I want him to forgive me for all that I've done wrong. I, and 
I want a new life in Christ. So there's a lot of people who haven't done this. And if you haven't done that yet, you need to understand, you need to count the costs. And this is one of those costs to consider. Are you willing to give everything to God, including your entertainment choices? But, but more importantly, I think just as importantly as what are my entertainment choices building in my life is this question, how do my entertainment choices help me build into the lives of others? Because that's actually what this passage is about. It's not about, does eating meat sacrifice to idols help me? He's saying, no, is, is this going to help somebody else? So, right, I, do I, I have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything's constructive. Very next verse, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So his point here is saying, okay, so maybe you can eat this stuff because you know Zeus isn't real and you sacrifice to Zeus, you've done nothing to the meat. It's the same meat, you know, and you're not into this boycott Zeus meat movement, you know, divest and whatever. You know, you're saying, you know, it's, it's okay for me. But he says, what is it doing to other people around you? Do they look at you and say, oh, it's okay to worship Zeus because look, Bob does it. He eats the meat. And so this is the same with our entertainment choices. What are our entertainment choices doing, not just to ourselves, but to those who are around us? And again, if, if you're a kid and you are hiding what you are watching from your parents, you shouldn't be watching it. And if you're a parent and you hope your kids don't know or see or watch what you're watching, you probably shouldn't watch it either. Right? So often we as adults, we're like, so like, oh, I have arrived and this is about children. You know, children need to, you know, it's bad for them. No, it's about all of us. And, and what is it doing to other people? In fact, um, the Bible goes on to say this, among you, and another, this is another letter, same man, Paul is writing. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. What percentage of entertainment in America sounds exactly like that? Yeah, a, 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 I, would, I would, a majority? A hint of sexual morality, greed, coarse joking, obscenity, like... In fact, Pastor Brett has made this argument a number of times, and it really bothers me because it, it lands very close to home in my own life, saying those people that you watch on TV, would you ever have them in your home? Absolutely not. not at least not doing what they're doing on TV or the Internet. And so here's the follow-up question. The second question I want you to ask is, you know, what is this... Is this constructing, is this building anything in my life? And um, what am I tolerating that I shouldn't tolerate? Um, and um, this, this in general applies to a lot of different things. I'm going to apply it to, to something specific in a moment. But um, in investment terms, there's something called the cost of missed opportunity. So I, I like Dave Ramsey. Um, we teach one of his, I just got done this summer teaching uh, one of his financial peace courses. We're going to offer that again um, pretty soon here in the fall. Um, but he tells a story about a certain man, and he, he uh, saved up enough money to buy his favorite car with cash. Now, if I 
transfer this to Susquehanna County, it's a Ford F-150. Okay, but it wasn't. It was actually a Mercedes. But so he saved enough money to buy this, this particular new Mercedes with cash. And he had been saving for years to, because he always wanted a Mercedes. And this was an especially good one that he really wanted. And, and so he... You know, he talked to his wife about it. She was excited. She's like, you know, you've always wanted this. And she also knew she'd get to drive it too. And, uh, you know, his friends were like, man, you saved up enough cash for it. You won't even have to have a loan, man. That absolutely. I mean, you're, you're already, you know, doing good things with your money and giving to God. And yeah, go for it. And so then he went to the, the car lot and he took the test drive and he just decided, you know what? I don't need it. And he didn't buy it. And uh, went home, and nine years, and he decided he took all that money that he was going to put in that, and he invested in his 401k and Roth IRA. And nine years later, he pulls up to a stoplight, and there's this Mercedes pull up right next to him. It's the exact car that he had wanted. Now it's nine years old. He rolls down his window because he doesn't live in Northeast PA. <laughs> or it's the summer, I don't know. Rolls down the window, and he calls to the guy in the car. He says, hey, how much is that car worth? And the guy is like ecstatic. He's like, man, I just got a good deal with it. I just bought it two weeks ago. It's awesome. I love it. He says, I bought it for $9,000. And so then he went home and he looked up, you know, that, all that money that he put into retirement and invested it, and he found he had $250,000. And so this is the cost of missed opportunity in reverse. He didn't miss the opportunity. He could have had the opportunity to drive his dream car for nine years, or he could have had $241,000 at the end of that nine years. And he decided, I think I made the right trade. This is hard to see financially in our lives. It is even harder to see spiritually. The cost of missed opportunity. Um, it's hard to say, what is the most important investment we could possibly make? It's investing in our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. Most important investments we can possibly make. That's what our, our, our whole mission as followers of Jesus Christ is to make more and better disciples. A better disciple has a better relationship with God and is more like Jesus. More disciples is bringing as many other people along with you in that journey. And, and that is the missed investment that sometimes we don't realize we're trading in our entertainment choices. And, and you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch TV. I watch TV. You know, um, I, I'm just saying we need to consider what, what are we, what is the missed opportunity that I'm trading this for? And is this what Jesus would really want me looking at? And so I'm talking in general terms about entertainment uh, in general, and I just want to drill down for the last um, couple minutes here and um, talk about one particular thing that our world calls entertainment and that God's word clearly calls sin. And it's the over-sexualization that is going on in our culture. Um, it's a spiritual em epidemic in our world today. Um, I, I, it's pornography and all the sexual sin that is related to that. And so this is um, Solomon talking to his son almost 3,000 years ago. He says, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down to the street near her corner. 
walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Is there anything wrong with going for a stroll down the street at about 6.30 at night? That's when twilight is, right? 7 o'clock at night, anything wrong walking down the street? No, not at all. But, and this isn't a real story about real people. This is a parable, right? This is, this is a story to teach a lesson. She isn't real. The man isn't real. But he's saying this is how sin works in general and how sexual temptation works in specifics. If we were to update this to today, we would say he, he was sitting down alone at night and got out his phone. He was lonely and bored. Or maybe she, you know, all, everyone had gone to bed and so she started scrolling through Facebook and decided to look up some old flames she had in high school and just see how they were doing. And the story goes on, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Again, this isn't a real person. This is personifying sexual sin. And you know what? You can flip the pronouns around here. If you're a woman, you can say, then out came a man to meet her. You know, he's unruly and defiant. And, and she took hold of him, or he took hold of her, and kissed her. And with a brazen face, he said, man, I've been waiting for you. You're the one, right? Today I fulfilled my vows and I have food for my fellowship offerings at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. This is part of the lie of, of sexual sin and even of pornography. Makes you think you're special. You pretend she wants you. But it's not real. It's not true. Does, does this woman, is it, was she really looking for him? No. Any man with a wallet would do, really. And, but this is the lie. I want to be needed. I want to be loved. I want, I, and I want a shortcut. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And I think this is one of Satan's greatest, most clever and brilliant uh, victories in our life and in our culture. And it's the redefining of words. If you call something love in America today, you can do anything. In fact, you, you call murder love, murder's on the table. Right? You just, all you have to do is just call it love. Any selfish, self-centered, evil thing that the Bible says this is going to lead you down a road to destruction, you call any of that love and it's all right. Because it's love. Is this love? Does she, it, no, it's selfishness. It's, you know, I'm going to fulfill a need for you, and, and you're going to fulfill a need for me, and ultimately it's totally self-serving, and it's all about me. It's not about you. Love wants what's best for the other person, even if it costs me. What is best for this young man? Is it best for this young man to have sex with a prostitute? Is that what's best for his life? No. She doesn't want what's best for him. Is it best for this woman to sell herself to a man, to cheapen herself to a, to a loaf of bread? Is that what's best for her? No, that's not what's best for either of them. 
They're not, they don't love each other. And so often in our culture today, this is the word that is used to cover over all sorts of sin. Well, it's love. It's not what love is at all. And then the next lie, my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. We won't get caught. No one will ever know. We're smarter than that. And this is true with pornography. Nobody knows. Nobody will ever have to know. I'm smart enough. I can control it. I can hide it. I, I, it's not going to hurt anyone. I'm telling you it's hurting you. And you're a fool if you think it's not going to hurt anyone. Because ultimately the truth, reality has a way of coming to light and coming to bear. And at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. I know so many people, and, and a room like this, those listening online, I'm sure most of you know a lot of people. Their life would be awesome if it wasn't for sexual sin. And it's not that it's made their life from awesome to just slightly awesome. It's made it from awesome to a, a train wreck awful. And, and so this is not what God wants for us. You know, in fact, this is a way of summarizing it. You know, you can live without it. You don't need to go to her house. But you know what? You might not live with it. The stakes are that high. In fact, we want to help, uh, you know, and I want to give at the end here, a way of out of this, you know, a way of victory. And I'm telling you, you can, you can have victory in this area of your life. Pornography is the most addictive thing in our world and culture today. I, I truly believe. I don't, I don't know of anything else that addictive. Because with alcohol, you can pour it down the sink drain, right? With your drugs, you can throw them in the garbage. But you can't pour your brain down the drain. You can't pour your brain into the, throw your brain into the garbage, right? And that's where the battle begins in your mind. And, and we want to help you on our, on our website. This is uh, the, the link to it. Bridgewater.church is our website. If you do slash asking for this whole series, asking for a friend, there's resources, there's books and websites and apps and different things for all of these sermons on doubt, on anger, and then on this, on addiction, on this one, on, on entertainment. And, and this is the, the page that will come up, you know, Protect Young Eyes. It's a website. You can download an app that will maybe help you with uh, um, just helping your kids, putting guardrails and fences up for your kids. You know what the average age is for, the, for a for average age child is first exposed to pornography? Eleven. So if your kid's in fifth grade, 50% of their classmates have seen pornography. Okay, I, and so this is, this is important. Covenant eyes is basically having another adult that you trust keep track of you. You know, and, and, and that's important as well. A lot, of, I, a lot of men in this church have that on their phone. And, and why? Because we need it. And, and that gets into how do I find victory? How do I find victory over this? This is one of the hardest things. Let me just talk to you about what it is doing. Scott Galloway was on Bill Maher's show, Real Time, September of 2022. Bill Maher is 
I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he's not a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? All right? Um, but it's interesting, this interview, one of the things they were saying in that is um, fewer than one in three men in their 20s have had sex in the last year. That means two-thirds of men in their 20s have not had sex in the last year. I would like as a pastor to be able to say, what a revival! Man, we have two-thirds of these men are being godly, and they're waiting until they get married, and they're, they're you know, because so few men of that age are married now, so. But that's not what's going on at all. And I praise God that there are some young men in our church that are following God, that do have victory sexually. But the problem is these two-thirds of men in their 20s in America that aren't having sex, it's not true. They are having sex, it's just with themselves. And this is devastating our country in ways beyond relationally and sexually. Um, there, there's some books, uh, there's one book, Your Brain on Porn, and explains what I'm going to explain in more detail with all the right chemical, biological stuff. So this isn't that, but this is kind of a summary of some of the things that science has found that porn does to our brains. Number one, it strengthens an addiction to it, right? It makes a shortcut, and then it reinforces that shortcut. And because it's a shortcut, the normal pathway kind of gets, gets more difficult, and the second thing porn does to our brains is not only does it make that shortcut, but like all addictions, it, it uh, builds up a tolerance for it. And so what once was like this amazing high then becomes meh. And so with sexual addiction and pornography, that means more, but it also means unusual and different. And one of the things that scared me to death about pornography, and I hope it scares you, is, is this more and different and unique aspect that pornography leads you toward. You don't know where it's going to take you. And it might take you, it might take you toward, toward violence. It might take you toward homosexuality. It might take you toward children. It may, you don't know where it's taking you, but I guarantee you this, it will take you somewhere and you won't want to go there because it builds up a tolerance for it. Number three, it actually decreases sexual satisfaction. Study after study has shown this. It decreases. And that, that makes sense if you think about it. Sex was designed by God to be relational and psychological and emotional and physical. But, but if pornography is, is your sex, you're only tapping into the physical. And you're missing all of these other aspects of it. And so, yeah, it's not going to be very satisfying. And then it disconnects us from real relationships, not just sexual ones. So, so when it, whenever you're interacting with other human beings, we have these good and bad chemicals that get fired in our brain, right? And maybe the, you know, initially it's kind of awkward. And you're like, ah, uh, you know, and you have bad things firing in your brain. You're like, ah, oh, this is awkward. I don't like this. But then, you know, you're with people for a while, and maybe someone says something, a story that's really funny, and you laugh at that, and you get these good chemicals firing in your brain. Maybe you say something witty, and everyone else laughs, and you have these good chemicals firing in your brain. And the problem with pornography is in total isolation, you get these good feelings and good chemicals. 
and it makes a shortcut to that, and, and it kind of deadens the other ones. And so, so we have a lot of young men in our culture that they, they, they just, they've taken the shortcut and it's just harder. Does it, does it remove any, you know, it doesn't completely, you know, take away that, that positive feedback that you get with other human being interaction, but, but it just deadens it enough. And for some men especially, they just collapse in on themselves because it's just too hard and it just is, is and, and, and I can get this good feeling all by myself. And finally, it lowers the view of women among men. Some men think all women secretly want them and would do whatever they're asked. And you know what? When they find out that that's a lie, sometimes they get angry because they've been living this lie. And you know what? It lowers women's view of men as well because you think all men are pigs. <laughs> and this is not just an issue for men. This is increasingly an issue for women. Pornography. And it's caught a lot of women as well. And you might be thinking, oh, not only are all men pigs, but now I'm a pig too. And that's not true. And so, as much as our media and culture want to celebrate everything being over-sexualized, music, movies, entertainment, uh, advertising, both science and the Bible wholeheartedly agree, pornography builds destructive patterns in your life and in larger society. How do we, how do we get out of that? Number one, amputation. All right, not literally. Uh, Matthew 5, 28, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, this is Jesus talking, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying this is where the battle is raged, not in physical actions. See, our society says as long as you don't do anything, you're okay. The Bible says no. Jesus says no, that's not true. It is a battle for your mind. You lose this battle, you've lost it all. Battle for your mind. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Is Jesus advocating amputation? No. Okay, because what you really would need to amputate to not sin is your brain. Okay? But wh what he's saying is that you need to go to extreme measures to not fall into sin, in particular, sexual sin. And so if, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the next time you looked at porn, your eye would be gouged out, what would you do to make sure that didn't happen? Man, you would have an accountability part. You would put software on your, you would get rid of your phone, right? You would, you would like get a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. Like you would, you, you do whatever it took because man, I don't want to lose my hand. I don't want to lose my eye. I don't want to, like this is, this is, this is, this is important, right? And so that, that's what Jesus is saying. How do you find victory? You don't find it by ho-hum trying something a little bit. Extreme measures you need to take. Number two, accountability. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 talks about how two are better than one. If, if one man falls down, the other one can help him up. But pity the man who has no one to help him up. And this is where even in my own struggle, in my teenage years and in my 20s with sexual addiction and masturbation, 
I, I was willing to do anything except this. And let me say, amputation, extreme measures, I tried physically harming myself. That did not work. I tried starving myself. That was the absolute worst of all of the things I tried. Because every time I was hungry, I thought about why I was hungry, and it was like dangling the temptation in front of my face like all the time. That was, that was. so you, you can't starve this sin out of you. You can't burn it or cut it out of you. The one thing I was not willing to do and the one thing that has helped me through Jesus Christ be free of sexual addiction is telling somebody else. Because I would rather have burned myself than told somebody that I'm not perfect and that I'm addicted and that I can't stop on my own. And this is where humility comes in. And a prayer I've prayed since then and a lot of times in my life is, Lord, make me humble, but don't humiliate me <laughs> in the process. <laughs> I'd like to be humble like without the pain and the humiliation. You know, but but this, this, is, this is so important. And then replacement, Ephesians 5, that, that passage that we read earlier about let not even a hint of sexual immorality be named among you. To be, you know, not even a hint. And it goes on to say, so what you need to do is you need to put off the stuff and you need to put on these other good things. You can't just sit in a room and say, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. That's a terrible plan. You have to have something new that takes its place. And maybe that's Christian music. Maybe that's Christian friends. Maybe that's, you know, somehow you got to run from that sin and temptation. Maybe that's literally running. You know, maybe it's all of those things. Somehow you have to have a new obsession with Jesus Christ to counteract this old obsession that has had you enslaved. And I just want to close by saying this. I'm so proud of so many of you in this church because you are sober and you have been freed. And I'm telling you that that is, that is possible. So many people, we talked about this with addiction last week. The first lie is I can stop whenever I want. The second lie is I can't stop. And that's where most people I think are at. And um, God can give us victory um, I want you to know there, there, there is hope, there is a way out. Um, and, and, you know, when, when I say God's given us victory, you know, that doesn't mean the battle's over, right? We need to continue to be on our guard, but, but you can be free. And um, I'm going to close with a song in a little bit called Gone. Because of Jesus, his death on the cross, because of the power that he can give you in your life, our shame and our chains and our sin, it can be gone. It really can. Heavenly Father, uh, this is like really awkward. I feel really bad for anyone that this is their first Sunday here. <laughs> um, but God, I just thank you that you have a plan for our lives and it is just better. Better than what the world offers better than, than anything that, that we would stumble into on our own. God, I just ask that you'd help us to trust you, help us to follow you, help us to do whatever it takes to be free. 
Thank you for that freedom you offer us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.